improve their communication skills so they can help more people and help people more. I'm your host Dr Martin Harvey. I'm a chiropractor and I'm an expert in communicating the value of chiropractic. On today's episode of Under the Influence I'm joined by the always amazing Dr Angus Pike. Angus is a chiropractor He used to practice just around the corner from me here in Melbourne, practiced there for 20 plus years. He is an expert in marketing your chiropractic practice and uh, you are going to learn a heap from today's episode. I have confirmed dates for the Communicating um, Chiropractic to Improve Patient Outcomes Tour here in Australia. Uh, So the dates are confirmed. Registration is up on the Australian Chiropractors Association website, chiro.org.au. The the dates are Launceston on the 20th of February, Melbourne on the 6th of March, Brisbane 3rd of April, Adelaide 1st of May, Perth 14th of May and Sydney on the 5th of June. So registration's open. Uh, go to the ACA website or there will be a link in the show notes. Those of you who subscribe to my email newsletter, there will be a link in that coming out in the next couple of days too. So Angus Pike. So Angus um, has been a chiropractor for many years, phenomenal chiropractor, and he has gone into a lot of, uh, I guess, sort of detail and depth in terms of working out What are ethical, heart-centered ways that you can grow your practice by adding value to uh, the people in your community? So how can you communicate in a way that is going to essentially position you as, as he likes to describe it, 5K or five mile famous? How do you become somebody that is the go-to person in your community? So... There's a lot to learn in today's episode. This is one of those ones where I reckon you're going to want to listen to it a couple of times to really get all the details from it. If you want to check out all the programs that Angus does, then check out anguspike.com. And let's get into Under the Influence with Angus Pike. Hey, Angus. (laughs) Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Great to have you. But it's wonderful to be here. Uh, I can't get enough of chatting with you. So any opportunity to do it again uh, seems uh, like a bloody good idea to me. So thanks for having me. It's absolutely my pleasure. And, you know, kind of before we launch into it, I've been waiting to have you on the podcast. We did have our sort of collaborative book review one a little while ago, but uh, really the impetus for me to have a podcast was very much enjoying your podcast, getting to be on your podcast and, realizing that I just had to do it more regularly. I, I just love the process of learning from super smart people and uh, then sharing that with a broader audience. And so it's really wonderful to have you aboard. So mm, let's well, get into it. Let's, let's do it, man. Yeah, let's, let's start the most important thing. What sort of coffee are you under the influence of these days? I know you've got newborn mm. child, so I'm assuming coffee's even more of a priority than in normal phases of life. Yeah, mainlining it. Um, I've, I've just taken my coffee backpack off just because the <laughs> straw kind of hangs in the face there as well as I'm trying to communicate to you. I'm drinking at the moment um, Axel Heavyweight 
Um, it's a bit of a blend, but it's a big old heavy busty um, one from a Melbourne dealer, um, which you will know why your coffee knowledge um, continues to impress me. But yes, I have moved from being a longtime St. Ali drinker and just their orthodox brew yep. um, into um, Axel Heavyweight now, which um, I'm loving. Sounds good. So for those of you who are not immersed in the centre of the universe as far as um, high quality coffee that is Melbourne, St. Ali is a really legendary cafe and um a roastery in South Melbourne, not far away from my practice, not far away from where you used to practice. And um, St. Ali um, is the patron saint of coffee. So the original um, owner of St. Ali, Mark Dundon, started that off, oh, I can't even remember, it must be 15, 20 years ago. And it really is globally uh, an influence on coffee culture. It's where a lot of the people who then ultimately went to the UK and sort of spread coffee culture there and to the US started in really sort of high level coffee. And then interestingly, we talk about Axel because the people behind Axel are originally, um, I can't remember whether they were working with Mark Dundon at San Ali or whether they were working with him at um, Seven Seeds, but um, they're kind of linked in with the same group of people who have had a massive impact, which, and I was, I find this sort of influence really interesting because I think there's a real parallel with chiropractic where there was an existing coffee culture, which was not as, uh, didn't have as good a picture to me of the true dynamics of what you, you could do with high level coffee. And they've just sort of spread their influence. So it's an appealing story to me as well. And because there's chiropractic applications, but maybe that's a podcast for another day. Well, let, one, one quick question, because I often wonder this, um, incredibly biased. I, I love Melbourne coffee and have, and I don't know whether I've just become used to it. And that's why I like it when I try. Interestingly, I really like Italian coffee as well, but on a global scale, uh, is Melbourne recognized as having great coffee from people outside of Melbourne or is it yeah, just some kind of insular? Yeah. yeah. No, no. It's sort of seen as the, the, from a US perspective or a UK perspective, they talk about third wave coffee, which is that sort of coffee that we're talking about where there's a really strong reverence for origin and almost treating coffee like wine where mm. there's a big emphasis on provenance and then technique and extraction and bringing a lot of science into it. And um, second wave coffee um, is that sort of wave of, um, I guess in the US, it would be things like um, Starbucks and those sort of things where they're essentially trying to recreate an Italian espresso experience, mm. um, which was better than the first wave, um, which was essentially um, in most Western countries, just either French press sort of coffee or mm. even instant coffee, where it was very shitty beans treated it as an industrial product and um, no real reverence for the where they came from and the differences between an Ethiopian and a Colombian and um, no difference between different um, means of preparing the beans so um, third wave coffee um, a lot of that originated in Australia and Melbourne specifically and so um, th th there's that element of it 
Um, but that's represented in, in most places around the world now. And I think the other thing with the Melbourne coffee culture is because that's happened here for a long period of time, it's gone further into the culture. And even outside of the hipster inner suburbs, you, it's pretty tough to get really, really shitty coffee in mm. Melbourne now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it means that things like when Starbucks have tried to get a bit of a leg hold in in Australia and Melbourne specifically, just nobody mm. goes there because they recognise it as an inferior product. And mm. uh, yeah. yeah, so that's kind of the full first three waves of coffee. Love it. Uh, look at this. I'm, I'm learning things. <laughs> well, I reckon it's time for us to switch it around and <laughs> learn some stuff from you because the reason I wanted to have you on the podcast is I just, there's a, a common theme in what I'm trying to accomplish with the podcast, which is helping chiropractors help more people and help people more. And particularly from the lens of there's no shortcuts. There's no, you can do things in a smart way, but this idea of there's special codes that you can almost sort of do nothing and get a phenomenal result. You're, you've been a long-time advocate for heart-centered chiropractic marketing I think you're arguably the um, the the expert in helping chiropractors spread their communication outside their practice, whereas my focus has been on sort of internally or one-on-one. I think you've translated a lot of the same ideas as I have, but how do you get that message out in a heart-centered, elegant, ethical way? And so I'd love to kind of get your ideas on that. So if with that as a bit of a preamble, what influence are you trying to have on the world, on chiropractic, on the community? What what are you about? Yeah. So let me start with a background story. Um, so many, it's interesting because, you know, when I listen to people tell the story of why they got to where they have, so many of it just started off from past wounds that we try and solve for ourselves. That's what I was trying to do. You know, I graduated in 97 um, and started a practice and was able to build what was a, you know, a, a rel- you know, it was a thriving practice. I think we kind of peaked out at kind of mid 400s that we were seeing. I kind of had this goal that one day I would get to 500. I never did. Um, but it was profitable. It was wonderful. And I built it on the back of um, really two pivotal things in terms of from a marketing point of view anyway is, you know, ex- external screenings, they're posture screenings, really, that we would go to uh, markets, um, you know, businesses, um, you know, um, malls, for lack of a better term there too, and we would check people's posture. And at the end, we would invite them a chance to kind of have a look at it more thoroughly. And, um, you know, they were really very successful, we could spend a day doing that. And it was not unreasonable for us to get 40 to 60 new patients book in for that. Yeah. So, and even that, um, so we're talking about now timeframe wise, let's just say we're talking between kind of 2000, 2005, maybe as a timeframe for that as, as well. But if you were to go back even 10 years before that, you know, the spinal screening is nothing new. I, I'd heard Don Stevens, is it Stevens or Stevenson? Stevenson. Yeah. yeah. Legendary chiropractor used to practice in yeah. uh, the Western suburbs of Melbourne, Northwestern. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Yep. And so, you know, Don would tell stories of, you know, 100, 200 in a day. Um, You know, he would head down to High Point, which was the place that was close to him there too. And so I started to notice a, a decline in that as an effective strategy. You know, we'd get 30 a day, 20 a day, 15 a day. And I speak to chiropractors now who will spend a full weekend, you know, at Chadston or the like shopping center there too, and, you know, end up with six to eight new patients from it. Like it, it literally brings a level of nausea to me in terms of ineffectiveness time-wise. And, you know, along with that too, we would bring these people into the practice. They're not, so they're not always the most highly qualified leads no. just by the matter of, you know, there has, it's a level of interruption marketing per se. Um, and then we had a really nice internal education process. We did a good job with our initial consultation, our report of findings, but I ran a weekly spinal care class for lack of a better term, the two, which, you know, I was talking with somebody yesterday, I, I, numerous times I did that for one person. Like I really had that commitment that if there was one there, I would do it. But most often there would be, you know, five to eight people there each week. Yep. And inside of that, what we really talked about is chiropractic beyond the resolution of symptoms, where health came from, the role of the spine and the nervous system in the body being, you know, self-healing. Um, and the combination of those two things, there was an influx of patients coming to us and there was retention that came from our, our, our procedures there too. So that the screening started to decrease and then it started to get more and more difficult for people to come along to these Tuesday classes at seven o'clock. I would constantly hear things like, have you got a video of that? Have you got a recording? You know, there were stages in there. I thought, oh, I'll record this and I'll give them a CD, you know, that they can listen to in their car. Um, so not quite a floppy disc, but not a CD. Quite a, yes, yeah, not not quite a floppy disc, but a CD in those days there too. So, um, you know, and so I started to realise as we were transitioning into an on-demand world of, um, you know, Netflix starting to come in. We were just seeing that, uh, that starting to happen there too. So that... I developed a lifestyle that supported or that was supported by, you know, 450 patients a week. I didn't want that to change. Um, And yet the very thing that was driving the practice was becoming unpredictable. So a level of urgency had me start to look for different options of which, you know, I spent a lot, you know, uh, along with a number of other chiropractors. I don't think you were one of them, you know, because I would go from, um, you know, I'd go down to the local newspaper. So yep. the Port Phillip leader was yep. in those days there too. I'd run an ad in there, which was really nothing more than my logo. Here's the times that we're open and that was it. I'd put it in there, maybe spend a hundred bucks and nothing would happen. Surprise, surprise. And I'd go back to the person like, oh, you've got to get your, your brand out there. Like, which I still don't know what that means. Get your brand yep. out there. This is something you need to do consistently, which is a great way of saying this is something you need to do every week to give us. So I, every week, and then they would come, I'd go back to them and go, look, this is still not working for us. Like, you know, if I were McDonald's and I said this with a radio station, it was at um, Triple M because yep. I ran a couple of ads on there that didn't do great. And I said, look, if... I know you're giving me this little chiropractic uh, budget here as, as well. Let's assume for one moment that I'm Coca-Cola and or McDonald's and I had the budget behind me to do that. What would you recommend? And I'm sure they licked their lips. They came back to me with a, um, was the best part of a hundred grand 
um, recommendation, which I couldn't afford to my, by myself, but I did get a bunch of us together. It wouldn't have made sense I would have got you given that you were around the corner and I probably yeah. wouldn't have wanted to share no, the paper I... with you. So <laughs> like, fuck you, man. So um, anyway, so I got a bunch of us together. Long story short, our 100 grand bought us seven new patients. Now that ain't great, okay? Now my retention and dollar visit average is good, but I don't want to start off where I'm paying kind of 12 grand a patient to come in. So needless to say, through frustration, through different bits and pieces, that's where I, I started to study marketing. Video was starting to evolve at that stage. And I had, I had a moment there too where I fell in love with marketing more than I fell in love with chiropractic. It took me a long time to... You know, I feel like I'm going through some form of um, counseling here. I, I love marketing more than I love chiropractic. You know, that's taken me tens of thousands of dollars uh, of, of therapy to be able to say that. And, and I love chiropractic. And it's, it's, it's definitely not an either or thing that I had to choose about. But I, I could see the fascination of psychology. Yeah. And, it, and it kind of, you know, what I saw in amongst of it there too, what pissed me off was seeing really great chiropractors who are really good at what they were doing who just couldn't succeed yeah. because there wasn't, you know, there just wasn't, now they might never have going to be have huge practices, but if there was just a regular flow of new patients to them, yeah. you know, they, they could have made a really comfortable living and had a great impact. And maybe they didn't have the great communication skills and stuff like that. But I've got to tell you, there's plenty of neurologists and surgeons out there who are assholes yeah. who are making a lot of money because yeah. there's community value in around what they do. And so that, you know, I got pissed off that there was, uh, you know, huge waiting lists for these people and yet chiropractors are begging for their new patients. And it, it, it broke my heart to see, you know, young graduates leaving practice after a couple of years because they just couldn't make it. And, it. and it wasn't that they were terrible at what they were doing, no. is that they were just missing that. If they had have just had a regular flow of new patients coming into them, they could have built some authority in their community, they could have positioned themselves um, as an expert of somebody of value, then all the difference in the world would have been made. And that's, you know, that's the influence that I'm wanting to have now is give chiropractors the tools that they can reach out to their community, they can build authority, they can position themselves as the prize. So people are seeking them out, not the other way around. Um, and yes, they need to be great at what they do. And they need to work on the internal communication and all those things but you know yeah. a consistent flow of new patients solves a lot of problems so yeah, yeah that's the journey which really was a 10-year journey yeah. um to, to get me to that because i know i think one of the things that i really admire about what you've created is that you, know, you had a successful practice and um you could just do that forever but you've invested you, you go full in. So I know you've invested heaps of money, heaps of time, heaps of energy in becoming an ex, a subject matter expert when it comes to marketing. And then through the programs that you and the coaching group that you run, et cetera, which we'll sort of describe in a, in a minute, but that you have frameworks that apply that specifically to chiropractic like how do we apply these ideas from marketing specifically for chiropractic how do we use video specifically as a chiropractor given in our unique sort of uh, brand and um, some of the limitations that we have in terms of what you can and can't do both culturally and from a, a regulatory perspective that that you're across all of that mm. um, so yeah that's that's huge so if we 
maybe um, if we, are you okay if we do a couple of almost little case studies where yeah, yeah. we sort of apply your marketing expertise to how you would approach that uh, totally. different scenario? So we mentioned there, and I was talking to um, another interview for the podcast that a statistic that, you know, I think 50% of new graduates are no longer in the profession after two to three years. So yeah. I think there's a huge need for us to, to find ways to get new graduates going in practice. So if you were, let's say, a relatively new chiropractor, or you're just starting a new practice, so you don't have a huge budget and you don't necessarily have a huge presence in a community, mm. what's the Angus Pike recommendation yeah for uh, how they would approach trying to get that momentum going, get new people in the door, um, and but in a heart-centred way that's mm. that's going to grow your uh, reputation in the community rather than sort of be a very transactional, sleazy sort yes. of short, short-term thing. It, um, I want to... Let me talk first about the evolution of marketing because this theme which I talk through, we can kind of run through a lot of our different case studies and we can pick right. different parts of it. For the longest time, it, most of marketing looked like interruption marketing. And so it looked like back 30 years ago when you and I would sit down on a Wednesday night to want to watch a country practice and um, it's a really dodgy kind of Australian show for our international listeners there too. And then every 12 or 13 minutes there, it was interrupted, it was stopped. And then different brands came on and they showed their products. Um, interruption marketing, we still see each and every day inside of magazines. We buy a magazine because we want to read about coffee and every third page, somebody's trying to sell us something. And the idea is of this interruption marketing is that if we can get our brand in front of you enough, if we can pique some interest inside of that, then the audience might be prepared to take the next step. Now, <clears throat> our tolerance for interruption marketing has gone down. And along with that, we still see it being done by very big brands. Okay. And it works for very big brands if they have a big enough budget. Yeah. So McDonald's and Coca-Cola and all these things, but even they have shifted into what, I, what I'll talk about the evolution of it as a moment too. So that's what naturally kind of led to me wanting to put those ads in the newspaper, interruption marketing. You want to read through what's going on local in Port Melbourne. I want to interrupt you in the hope that at that moment, there's a satiation that I need a chiropractor. Ah, there's one there. I'll go and see him. Um, but that the, the desire for that and the tolerance for that has come down. And marketers have shifted from, from interruption marketing into what now looks more like entertainment marketing. And the best of that really, I, I still think personally, um, are brands like GoPro, uh, maybe Red Bull. So yeah. the advertising itself is, you know, I've found myself if I walk into a surf shop or um, JB Hi-Fi, there's often a television up the front there, GoPro kind of branding on it there with these amazing videos of people surfing and snowboarding. And I will just stand there and watch it because it's visually spectacular. It's inspiring. It's all of those kind of things creating. And that's, that's entertainment marketing. It's very difficult for us to do uh, budget wise and also skill wise. Like if you're to make a video like that, you know, I, I teach chiropractors make videos all the time, not those kind of videos. That's Hollywood studio type of stuff there too. But luckily Inside of that, there's something that I think that is equally as engaging as entertainment marketing, maybe even more so, and that's 
value or solution marketing where all our marketing is actually doing is solving a problem. So, you know, and and again, the problem that you would solve would depend on the business that you have, the audience that you're wanting to talk to. So, you know, pediatric based chiropractor is going to be solving a problem of unsettled kids, ear infections, you know, baby's failure to thrive, not crawling, all of those kind of things there too. So that movement into it. So first of all, this new graduate has to then the first decision that that they need to, um, <laughs> I'm, uh, do you know James Altucher, the comedian? Yeah, yeah, yes. Rewatching some of his stuff again. And it, it's funny because, you know, the first problem that he or she needs to, and he would say, do you know, wouldn't it be great if there was another word that we could say instead of he or she? Like, ah, oh, that's right, they. So um, <laughs> the first problem that this new chiropractor that they need to survive, need to solve, is need to get some clarity in around is, what problem do they solve? Yeah. So that's that's it. Now, uh, this can be tricky for chiropractors. And another way of asking this question, what problem do I solve, is who is my audience? Yeah. And this is where it gets tricky for chiropractors because they buy into the idea to start with, well, if you've got a spine and a nerve system, then you're my patient. Yeah. And yes, that's true um, as well. But you, trying to communicate to everybody, what problem are you going to solve for those people you know they all have even a mum with lower back pain experiences the world differently and that means different things to her than an athlete a weekend warrior a 55 year so so getting some clarity first of all and let's just decide that you know and, and often as i said beforehand what we tend to do is gravitate towards solving the problems that we've had let's just say that this young practitioner is super into crossfit loves that whole kind of world, participates in it themselves there as well. And really what they want to do is they want to keep CrossFit as CrossFitting. Yep. And so that's the, you know, that's the audience that they're going to start with. Now, assuming that their budget is is really low, you know, one of the best things that it, it lets it ignore any digital sort of media, and because it's not even necessarily the best and fastest way to go about it, it has some advantages, you know, go and find your local, if you're in a CrossFit gym that might be the other side of town, kiss goodbye to those guys, say it's been great working out with you, come and join one of the local ones there too introduce yourself to the coaches there, find out how you could be helpful for them. And one of the ways, one of the problems that you could solve there is you could say to the coach, hey, listen, I noticed that coming into my practice that I get lots of injured CrossFitters because they don't know how to warm up and do some mobility properly. I see them not doing it as well. How about I run a class and I really teach them how to do this? It'll prevent some injuries in there as well. It'll keep them training with you longer. So this is solving the problem for the gym owner because the gym owner if they're not working out they're not paying the membership you know they need to keep that happening too so you're being valuable to the gym owner you're positioning yourself as an authority um, for the members there too and at the end of the class it could be just as simple as an invitation hey listen do all these things try this if you feel like you need some additional support or if you want to talk with me one-on-one from this too here's the practice details or just come up and see me when i'm here working out I'm, i'm really here to help so be valuable a lot of this is based on one of my favorite quotes, a Zig Ziglar quote, which it's it's how I run my life. It's worked very well for me, which is if I just help enough other people get what they want, I'll get yep. what I want there too. Yep. And so you're going to start to build relationships with these local. Now, go to the CrossFit gym, go and do the same thing at the, you know, the Good Life gym as as well. You know, reach out to places like this if it's a sporting that you want. Head down to the local football club, cricket club, those kind of things there to meet these people. Be of value to them, okay? Solve their problems, be generous, just help people moving forwards. And then, 
how that would look in terms of a digital format is I would suggest that you create videos that do the same thing. You know, hey, listen at this, I I look after lots of athletes here at the practice. You know, one of the things that's holding them back is they don't understand the principles of a warm up and a cool down properly. Um, Today, we're particularly focusing about the runners out there as well. I wanna show you the key things you need to do before you run and after you run as well. Share your stuff, be there consistent, show up. Um, is, is be, that'd be the principles with which I would start. Yeah. So one thing that I just wanted to, I guess, sort of underline there that I think is super important, and I know I've really sort of struggled with, but then I see other characters struggling with, is that idea of really getting a very, very specific niche. And um, you and I have both been reading the um, Alex Hormozy book, um, mm. $100 million offers, or mm. I, I know he references it um, where he talks about if you're making an offer in this specific scenario, um, and I think he's talking about Dan Kennedy um, yeah. ideas of value. And you had a phenomenal podcast about the difference between price and value that I would encourage people if you haven't um, listened to Angus's um, Marketing Practice podcast. There's an episode, a couple of episodes ago on value that I just think was one of the best things I've ever heard. But Thank Alex's you. story that he tells in that regard, I think is a really useful one for us to have in mind when we're looking at, if we're putting information out that we want to be valuable for people, it's useful to recognize value from their perspective. So the example that he gave was, um, and I'm gonna paraphrase a little bit to make it more specifically, but if you were interested in helping your marketing, you wanted to do better marketing for your chiropractic practice, if somebody had a generic course on marketing, that might be worth something because you'd look at that and you go, well, that might solve my problem, Mm. but I don't know how applicable it's gonna be. But that's a they're... book. It's twenty nine dollars. Do you yes. know what I mean? That, yeah, like, that's the kind of thing that you know. It's what Seth Godin is doing, and many people yeah. out there as well. That it's a book price, basically. Yeah. So buy it on yeah. Kindle or whatever. But yeah, yeah. If you went and level more specific instead of it in in terms of a niche, and you said, "I've got a marketing product that uh, sorry, a product that will teach you to market, and it's specifically for health professionals," you'd go, "Oh, that's probably." Uh, you know, maybe that's a hundred dollar product and because it's got, it's, you know, four videos rather than a book and it's worth more because it's more specific to me. A level above that may be something like here's a marketing for chiropractors product, which is probably going to be like a $500 value because you go, well, it's specific to me. But if it was even more specific, if it was a marketing course for chiropractors who are starting their practice and want to in Australia and want to focus on athletes, you'd go, how likely is that going to be to solve my problem? It's super specific to my problem. So it's super likely to. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing in terms of that niche thing, um, a few years ago, I did Seth Godin's uh, marketing course and you have this exercise where you've got to look at how you sort of cut through the clutter of messaging and basically the the more on the edges of any um, particular thing whether it's price or uh, focus on proactivity or you've got to be remarkable you've got to be have some edge to it that some people definitely won't want but means some people definitely will have a high oh that's exactly what I'm after you've got to have that to be able to get that breakthrough in a busy environment 
Yeah. You know, there's two things because I, I struggled with niche for a long time too. I remember in the early days, you know, different advertisers asking me, well, who's your audience? And I'm like, you don't understand chiropractic, man. It's for yeah. everybody, you know, you're full. <laughs> but here's, here's why niche is important. First of all, it's relevance. Okay. It's relevance, not for you, but relevance for your audience. It's an incredibly busy world out there nowadays. And when we're scanning through social media, the background story that's going on in our head is, is this relevant to me? Yeah. So if I'm a CrossFitter and I'm into that kind of stuff there too, and I see you inside what looks like a CrossFit gym going through moves that look like kind of CrossFit mobility stuff there too, it's going to pique my interest. It's going to have me stop. That's the first challenge that we have is somebody looking at your content there too and saying, ah, this is relevant for me. Now, as I mentioned beforehand, if your budget is in the squillions, then you can just blast people like McDonald's and Coca-Cola does, and you can go that. But we we can't, we just don't have the resources to do that. The other thing that niche does is it differentiates you, okay? And differentiation is fantastic. Ideally, we want to put ourselves in a category of one because then there's no other choice. So like, I've got this going on. Who's the best CrossFit Cairo in town? That's Martin. Yeah. It's not, and, and then it also doesn't matter that because I've asked myself that Martin might be two suburbs away, but there's no comparison because he's the CrossFit Cairo guy there too. Yeah, yeah. It also means in amongst that too. So when we differentiate, we can pull from a wider audience and people will travel further for us. They'll also pay more as well. Yeah. We become less we become more price resistant. Uh, you know, we had an experience, <clears throat> you mentioned Sonny beforehand, who's just about 12 weeks old, he had a, a tongue and lip tie and which we wanted to get sorted um there's a place in melbourne that lauren uh, who's a chiropractor awesome and if you will know lauren um she's been referring to him for that a, a long time and they are the go-to place for this so uh, uh, this type of procedure so we didn't even look at anybody else as far as getting it done we made an appointment with these people the other thing interestingly that we didn't do either is because that they were there was no other solution to a problem that we wanted solved we also didn't ask how much it was. Mm. There was never a discussion beforehand. It was a problem that we really wanted solved. There was no other choice. They differentiated themselves there as well. And so when I went up to get the bill paid, um, it was like, that'll be $1,400, Angus. I'm like, oh, wow. Like Grateful that I could pay for it there too. But I thought, isn't that interesting that I had no idea what that was going to be beforehand for a procedure that took all of 45 seconds. Now, there was lots of care that happened before and after. Happy to have paid the amount there too. So choosing a niche makes you relevant to the people. It calls you to them. It's catnip to these people there too. And then it allows you to differentiate. So I'm not, no one's going to be price shopping anymore. No one's going to yeah. be worried about all those kind of things. That's why it's really great to do. And then thirdly too, just to think about just because you're talking CrossFit all the time and all that kind of stuff there too, doesn't mean that, you know, Nana and Papa who's having headaches and stuff like that aren't going to come and see you. You absolutely can. And if you're clever with it, you know, my favorite story is a plumber up in Sydney who positioned himself as the hot water service guy. That's what he called himself. And he would come in after fixing your hot water service. And on the way out, he would say, Martin, just want to let you know, we fix leaky taps blocked toilets, any general plumbing needs that you have there too. Don't hesitate to give us a call because we do all that also. But his way in the door to begin the relationship was he was the hot water service guy. That's how he became relevant to those people. That's how he differentiated himself. And you could do the same thing inside your practice also. Excellent. So new grad, you're, gonna, you're essentially just going to be putting a lot of effort into 
starting with a very, very specific niche, using the, the time that you have as a resource in place of spending mm -hmm. money, you'll yeah. be creating relationships, you're going to be testing what messages with your audience hit, what messages don't in that in that really fast and specific feedback environment mm -hmm. that you get with one-on-one -on -one relationships, you're going to be mm -hmm. expanding out into other similar sort of communities um, with, within your, and I know you use the, the, the statement often 5k famous or five mile famous you're yeah. really looking to just be a celebrity in your local community and mm. then you're, you're getting as you're getting an understanding of what messages are resonating with your kind of avatar or your core niche you're then translating that into videos that you might then share with your community or put on social media, et cetera. Mm. Let's, let's maybe change. And some of these strategies I'm sure that we're going to talk about could be used in this environment as well. Mm. But if we were now looking at a different scenario, but we've got an established practice that you've got one chiropractor who's kind of happy with where they're at. They wouldn't necessarily say they would not say no to any, uh, growth, but they've taken on a new chiropractor. So there's a, there's another mouth to feed, um, mm. but you've got the primary chiropractor maybe has some more financial resources yep. that they can put behind things. And in terms of creating videos, they've got perhaps more relationships. What, what's the scenario here? What would you suggest? So let's do a yes end. Let's say that we would do all those things that we were talking about beforehand that the new grad was going to, to be doing. Um, but along with that too, we've now got some budget to be putting behind these videos that we talked about. So, and again, the budget, this is the interesting thing. I think this is one of the myths that we've been sold by different marketing agencies, not necessarily understanding what we're, we're doing. You, you know, as little as 10 bucks a week put behind your video, it can get you hundreds of views. Sometimes so when you're saying putting money behind it, you're saying boosting it. Boosting. Yeah, let's, yeah. And this is the other thing that's really happened in our favor as well. You know, when I started paid advertising on social media, you used to have to go into what was called the ads manager. Yeah. It, 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 you know, it was something that, you know, you needed Felix's coding abilities to be able to kind of manage your way through. It really was complex. Now all you do is you hit that blue button underneath your ad there that says boost. And you say, what do you want to kind of focus on? Well, we'll focus on video views. Where do you want this to go? Again, if I'm in a city practice, then you want to put somewhere between kind of three and five kilometers. If you're a, you know, a more rural based practice, then it might be anywhere between 10 and 20 kilometers. Show this video to these people. Very, very simple to do. If you could get the video up on Facebook in the first place, then hitting the boost button is not a problem. The minimum you can spend is a dollar US. Okay, it's about a dollar fifty Aussie-ish, give or take. Just put ten bucks behind that for the week. Okay, it, you know this will take your video from an organically. It might get, you know, depending on where you are, it might get ten or twenty views to all of a sudden 600, 700 views. Wow. Like the, the difference is remarkable with what ten bucks will buy you there too. And we're starting. What you're starting to do with that is that you're starting to, you know, we call this, there's a buying cycle that happens that says there needs to be a certain number of touch points that happen before I have enough trust to reach out and see you. Just because I have a problem and you come to me and says, I can solve it. Um, interestingly, when, when I'm engaging with you, whether it be in person or whether it be digitally by watching a video, the first question I'm not asking myself is, can you help me? The first question I'm asking myself is, 
is one of these two things, which is why it comes back down to niche again. First is, is do I trust you and do you understand me? Okay, so they're the questions I'm asking. Now, if you get a tick for both of those, then I'll get on to, can you help me? And uh, the idea of, do you understand me? The magical power, this is why chiropractors can be such great marketers. The magical power that you want to have, not only to make you a great marketer, but I think to make you a great power is empathy. Yeah. You know, when you when you develop your skills at empathy, when if I'm wanting to talk to one of those mums and create a video there too, I want to be able to describe what her life is like. You know, today's video, we're talking about, you know, natural solutions, drug-free solutions for ear infections. If you're finding yourself um, just at the end of your tether because you're on your fifth course of antibiotics, if you're waking up multiple times a night with a child screaming, I want to know, I want you to know that there are other options for that. And then we would share, but the, just introducing the video that way, which I didn't do a great job of, but I hit on, you know, mum in that situation to go, yes, I'm, I, I am on the fifth course of antibiotics. We're staring down the barrel of tubes or maybe we've tried that beforehand. And yes, it's getting exhausting, getting up to a crying child each night for multiple reasons there too. She's saying from that, you know, that yes, I understand you. You're making the video about her builds trust and then I can go in and add a solution there too. So when we're, we're creating this type of content there too, when we're getting this in front of people there too, we're building these touch points, which, yeah. you know, 20 years ago, six or eight of those touch points was enough for somebody to make a, a yeah. buying decision. It's yeah. now upwards of 30 touch points is the, is, is what people need. So we just, we're working our way through, through all of those. So 10 bucks a week doing that. The other key difference that the second chiropractic practice has that's different from the first is it has incredibly large bucket of inactive patients and we ignore these we're always looking for let me bring some new ones in there because we wrongfully think that when people stop getting adjusted with us is that they no longer like us anymore or they no longer see us as valuable or they no longer have a need now my experience is for most healthy chiropractors i.e not a sociopath or a narcissist doing nasty things to your patients there too Probably what happened to your patients is they got distracted, they got busy, and they just forgot about what was going on. And that if you reach out to these peeps and invite them back into the office, and particularly if you give them a reason to take action now, which is could be something along the lines of, you know, at its simplest, could be, hey, listen, instead of your adjustment being 65, we'll do it for 40. We haven't seen you for a while. And you could even be cheeky enough to say, you know, hey, Martin, this is an ethical bribe. We've not seen you for a little while there too. We'd love to see you again. Um, if you book an appointment in the next couple of weeks, buddy, instead of being 65 bucks, we'd be happy to do it at 40. So give the officer a call. So you're doing that. Say you've got the new chiropractor there. You're saying, you know, I've got uh, uh, Dr. Sonny here. Yes. Uh, new. Book in with him in the next couple of weeks and rather totally. than 60. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, good clarification because we don't want all of a sudden to have, you know, 50 re-exams or 50, you know, uh, inactive yeah. patients booked back in for the chiropractor that's already pretty. So that would be part of, um, of the invitation that you would get inside of there too. Good reactivation processes and good, because the other great thing about creating your video content like we've been talking about is not only is that valuable for you creating new relationships, but it's also really valuable if you stay in front of mind for existing relationships because your video, the, the, the process for the video and the distribution cycle is create the video, pop it up on your website, okay? Email your patients saying, hey, 
new video this week. This week, we're talking all about, you know, uh, warm-ups for running and what you need to do after for those of you that are runners, watch this video, okay? Yeah. And again, there'll be some people inside of that that are like, oh, that's me, or, or that's my husband. I'll forward that video on there too. But not all of your patients will be that. But if you're creating a video once every two weeks or so there too, then what you really want to be thinking about is at least one out of four of those videos should be valuable to most of your patients. You need to yeah. be thinking about that idea too. So from a reactivation point of view, or even just a continually keeping you front of mind and position yourself as valuable for your patients as well. So that would be something that I would certainly add in um, for the more established practitioner along the lines along with them also putting some money behind their videos so that they could, you know, boost them and, and push things forwards. Okay. So just another clarifying question when you're talking mm -hmm. about videos, so we're getting these up, we've got our kind of avatar of who we're wanting to serve. And then we're using our empathy skills to understand, you know, mm -hmm. what their problem is that they're looking to solve. And through our videos, we're, you know, to use your phrase, we're trying to get them one step closer to solving their problem through the content that we're providing. How long should that video be? Is that like a yes, 20 minute spinal care class or a 30 yes. second snippet or what is it? So now this gets shorter all the time. I'm, going to, I'm so interested with how I'm going to be answering this question in another two years time. Most of your videos should be less than a minute. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Wow. So interesting because, you know, um, if you go back to training of mine in my podcast, for instance, just listen to two years ago, and I would have said three to five minutes. Yeah. Um, but that's, so let's just say that 60% of your video should be less than a minute. Um, you know, uh, the other 30% of your videos should be into that kind of maybe three minute mark. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, maybe 10% of your videos, one in 10 of them can be in that kind of five minute plus kind of strategy um so there is space for that and really what you're wanting to think about is think about your own kind of you know digital habits as well if because we do this when we see a video that piques our interest one of the things that we look for is how long is this video yeah there have been many times i've looked at it and gone oh that's an eight minute video i don't know who you are you're not getting eight minutes of my time but if it's less than a minute then i will continue to watch that and build value and then there are people that you know I mean, if you think about it, for instance, you're a huge Tarantino fan. Yes. So, you know, if he were to put out a movie that was four hours long, you would watch it because you think, man, it's four hours of Tarantino. This built that no like and trust between the two of you. Yeah. But an unheard of person comes up that says, here's a four hour movie to watch. I think you might like it. You're like, oh, I'm not sure I'm going to risk four hours on this. So as people are moving their way through that, um, buying cycle, they're more likely to engage with your longer videos and your longer videos will have more substance, be able to deliver more value inside of them. And so you want to be able to have really a mixed bag of all of that. Most of videos less than a minute, okay, in that 60% kind of category there too. The rest of them kind of 30% of them in that three to five minute sort of area there too. And maybe one in 10 or 10% of them can be, you know, anywhere from five minutes plus. Yeah. Awesome. 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 So we've uh, done a couple of little case studies. Um, we're making videos, we're using empathy, we're um, being consistent, we're boosting to, to grow our impact. What, if we go right back to the very beginning, what influenced you to get involved in chiropractic? Why did you become a chiropractor? Mm. There are two parts of this journey, two real 
pivotal kind of um, forks in the road for me. And the first one is not all that inspiring in that, you know, I played lots of cricket as a kid. Um, I did end up, I was um, a, a bowler very, very fast, um, <laughs> terrifying uh, yes. in around the local Colac community. Um, but I, it, it did, it was terrible for my back. And I, I even think about it now having coached cricket and, you know, reasonably high level cricket for a while there too. It's a terrible movement for a growing yeah. and developing spine there too. I feel like I'm still dealing with some of the consequences of it now, but I did get some relief from seeing a chiropractor semi-regularly um, and God bless this gentleman. He was wonderful, but he was a very uninspiring character. Um, one week when I went to see him, um, there was a, a locum in and I, I, the locum's name was Sasha. And I do, there's not a lot of Sashas that are chiropractors. Yeah. And thinking of the timeframes, I'm trying to think of Sasha's who I used to see at DG currently every now and then. Um, doesn't matter. I should track him down though. And the first thing that, that jumped into my mind is I was introduced to Sasha as Dr. Sasha. I went, yeah. oh, really? It wasn't ever, it was never Dr. Daryl. Yeah. Uh, I went, oh, okay. So, <laughs> which um, probably Dr. Daryl. Um, and Sasha started to tell me that there were other things. The thing that he told me along with it too is that, oh, chiropractic's not just good for, you know, sore backs, but like, you know, lots of pregnant women like to come along because it kind of helps them throughout the pregnancy. And it kind of piqued my interest in it a little bit. And so I found myself studying chiropractic. I was not all that inspired in first year. In fact, I can remember being um, annoyed that we had a subject that was called chiropractic philosophy. It was actually chiropractic history that we were teaching there too. And thinking, what do I need to know about this BJ and DD dude anyway? You know, it was a hundred odd years ago. How is it relevant? This word we talked about before to my life. I couldn't see a relevance to it. And so it annoyed me. Um, and then fast forward to the end of first year, the very first real love of my life, the gorgeous Sally Milne um, broke up with me and um, I was immediately heartbroken and so the, the step in between this next bit, I can't work out how, but I found myself in the library out at RMIT looking for books to read over the summer to kind of numb the pain. And somehow I came across the green books and I got the subluxation specific, the adjustment specific, one of the green books, a big old hefty oh. one. And um, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't an easy one for me to start. It must have been a lot of uh, pain to, to think that that was a solution. It, um, it, yes. Well, and, and I started reading that and it lit a fire in me that it's still inside of me today. I, I, I started to, I got introduced to the very simple premise really that I would communicate now very much thanks to, to you of this idea that the body being self-healing, the nervous system is the master system inside of that there too, the spine and nervous systems relationship. And that if our spine is not working, functioning properly, then therefore it interferes for the body's ability to heal and repair and that was it. You know, a flame was lit there. And that's, I think that's really, you know, if I were to say that's when I became a chiropractor, was at that moment um, there. Okay. So along your journey, um, who or what would you say have been your chiropractic influences? Mm. So after that, I went through uh, the very first one um, was really Reggie Gold. And, yeah. you know, his tape, which sat in my car, uh, you know, we're talking audio tapes here the chemistry of life yeah which was you know such so beautifully articulating that message i said before of the body being self-healing and, and the nervous system being the controlling system there too so that you know that was great then also along that to um joe felicia who i just love for not much else 
well for lots of reasons too but his voice was just so magnetic yeah um, he was a real orator wasn't he unbelievable it was clearly a man of four testicles so um you know just the depth of his voice and the power and the passion behind it as well um it then developed into you know really on purpose at gen tempo and kent um as well i i loved and looked forward to again that that stage there was the, the monthly cd set that would be posted yeah. out to us um as well you but must then, have been very techo because i think i started with cassettes yes we, the, well you're a lot business. older than i am so that would make sense so um but it, the, the the initial i'm trying to think time frames five eight years of my practice was built on a very solid understanding of philosophy and how that played out into practice by nature i'm a, an analytical person and I knew there was something missing that, that, and when that missing piece for me was really understanding the science, because I, I knew that it wasn't pinched nerves that we were dealing with. That didn't make sense that, you know, I was pinching the nerve to somebody's stomach and that was why they were getting stomach problems or I was pinching the nerve to their immune system. Well, like what nerve is, goes to the immune system, you know, but then the, the, the next big leveler for me or elevator for me rather was James Chestnut yeah. and his 14 foundational principles um, of the chiropractic paradigm was, was nothing short of revolutionary for me. In fact, hearing him for the first time at Parker yeah. um, just lit me up in a way very few things had, had lit up. And that that, that was a phenomenal experience because I had, um, I was back in those days with Parker coming to Australia, we had a system where we would have people sort of hosting um, each of the international speakers. And I was hosting James that year and it was his first time out to Australia and so I think I picked him up from the airport and I took him to his hotel and you know there anything's that you need and he had this when he was going in to do that presentation he and I think he might have done like a little teaser presentation from the main stage the night before and he's in a little breakout room that I think was meant to to take 80 people and there were 140 people in there it was really packed and he said to me look I've got this book here the 14 foundational premises and he had like 60 of them and I think he wanted to charge like 50 bucks or something mm. for them and they were very very uh gorilla made like they were just offset yeah. printed at a at a uh, a kinko's kind of equivalent I remember totally. thinking oh yeah I don't know I'm not sure that people are going to want to pay 50 bucks for this and I was standing at the table and he started that presentation and you could just feel this, oh my God, I've never seen things quite like, I've never seen the bigness of chiropractic translated into science in quite this way. And I was yeah. having people coming over to me. And so there was this rush to this table where we ended up taking orders for like hundreds of this book that he didn't have. So yeah, it was pretty transformative experience, I think. Yeah, remarkable. And so he, you know, he was the final piece in the puzzle for me yeah. that that gave me a rounding of science, art and philosophy of chiropractic that, um, you know, still sits with me now and gives me a confidence to talk chiropractic to anybody, um, you know, formally educated in health sciences or, or not um, also. So, yeah, there, I think, you know, there'd been some others along the way there too of, you know, you did such a beautiful job with your, the, the work that you did with the Spinal Research Foundation of particularly coming up with just such an 
an effective and simple flow chart, which I oh, bastardized yeah. before. You know, that, that was very, very helpful for me um, as, as well. You know, Russ Rosen, Russ was helpful for me as an influence in that he freed me from the responsibility of having to have my patients get it and get results. He took that shackle off me that, you know, at that stage in practice, I felt a level of responsibility for everybody and everything that happened. If they got the big idea, if they didn't get the big idea, um, all those kind of things there too. And so he was just pivotal in helping to give me some frameworks that I could communicate with people freely where I was, you know, the, still the metaphor to this day that when I would go into a report of findings beforehand, you know, it was so heavy and serious with what I was doing and so important that their whole health and the rest of their health and their family's life depended on me being able to get them to get the big idea at that moment. Change to the metaphor that always stayed with me after that. As I was going into the report of findings there too, and I imagined myself in a cafe queue and I was literally saying to you, um, you know, Martin, chicken or the beef? What yeah. do you want? Chicken yeah. or the beef? No, like whatever you want, I'll help you get there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you wanted symptomatic relief, beautiful. And I could either choose that look, this fits inside of our paradigm where we could help, or I could help you get there by taking you and, and showing you the right chiropractor for you. You know, if you wanted more well care, I go, great. Look, this is what we do here as well. But it was no longer a reflection on me and my value as a human being with whether you said chicken or the beef. It was the great, what do you want? And again, back to that philosophy, I'll get everything I want in my life if I just help enough other people get what they want. Yeah. Freeing for me. Very cool. So chiropractic influences, we've gone the, the whole uh, thing there from starting off with uh, selling meal and breaking your heart and then uh, the, the various people along people and resources along the way. Outside of that, sort of other life influences, people or things that have been influential on the things that you value and the path you've taken. Mm. So um, again, I, I've shared that Zig Ziglar quote a couple of times there. Um, it, it has been important for me. You know, I, it wasn't until maybe a couple of years ago that I realized just how impactful Tony Robbins has been um, in my life yep. there too. And the idea of, and if I'm to sum that up, that, you know, the learnings I've had from Tony really is the idea of the quality of your life is in direct relationship to the quality of the questions that you ask yourself. Before we hit record on here, we were talking about beliefs and questions and stuff like that. He gave me, um, you know, so many mental technologies to help to deal through and get me to where I am in life and through different challenges. That it, it, that experience and the investment that I made with Tony through doing, you know, a lot of his programs that started at kind of fire walking all the way through to kind of date with destiny. And, you know, uh, um, I, I spent kind of eight or 10 days with him over in Hawaii um, as well. So he was absolutely pivotal with it um, as, as well. You know, I, I think from a marketing point of view, um, you know, Seth Godin is, is someone that you and I both have talked about and have an admiration for because of the, you know, there is a, a quote which I often talk about from Seth, the idea that if you're not marketing, it's not that you're being shy and circumspect, it's that you're stealing. And that really marketing is about the fact that there's somebody out there right now who needs your help, who doesn't know that you're the solution. Yeah. 
And if your marketing is about just solving problems there too, who are you not to be out there doing this? Shy or not shy, it's not about you. There's somebody that needs your help. And I love the, the reverence that and the consistency that Seth has within not taking shortcuts, playing the long game, building a reputation. Um, yeah. So he has been, you know, very important for me. Um, yeah, and I think one of his core ideas um, that he talks about a lot in the, his, all of his writing and specifically there's a focus on it in that marketing seminar is um, generosity. That, yes. that the sort of hallmark of anything that he does is he wants to be doing it as a gift to other people. Um, and then there's a reciprocity that comes with doing things to help people uh, just without necessarily having a quid pro quo to it. But it's a generous act of sharing, of helping people get one step closer to solving their problem. And some of them will want to then engage with you further. But even in and of itself, there's generosity. And I think that's one of the things that is a hallmark of everything that you do is that generosity embedded in it. It's, it, it fascinates me. Um, and it really works. You know, I've just started a, one of the courses that I have is called Video Influence for Chiropractors. It teaches them how to make short and engaging videos. So it, it solves the three big problems that chiropractors tend to have. First of all is help me out with the technology help me choose my audience. This is what we would refer to as the before phase. Then the next phase there too is help me then create content. And then how do I organize that content into the structure of a video? We take them through different frameworks to do that. And then finally, the after phase, what do I do with the video afterwards? So it helps them solve it. So I've just run a program and had a big promotion into that as well. And it's interesting that when I'm chatting with new members inside of that, how many of them have been listening to my podcast for the couple of years? Mm -hmm. You know, I've been following your stuff forever. And then we built enough trust that when I put an offer in front of them, it was like, yeah, man, let me just do this as, as well. The same thing will happen inside of your practice. I, I tell them when we're in here and we're having that discussion, I said, look at the journey that you went along with me. I have done what I will teach you to do. Okay. I'm not doing anything different. I think it's always a good thing to look at from a teacher. You know, if your person who's teaching you about your health looks unhealthy, be concerned. You know, the person who's helping you with your wealth management doesn't look like they're doing their own, then be concerned. You know, the tactics that I use to build relationships through the podcast, through video influence, through my community influencer programs there as well, are the same that I will suggest you know, that chiropractors do in their community because they're built around really solid principles and strategies. Um, so, yeah. Beautiful. So if somebody wants to, we've spoken and you've been, again, very generous in giving us a whole lot of ways that we can start to have more of an impact in terms of getting our message in a heart-centred, generous way out into our community. Um, but if people want help, like they don't want to have all the clunkiness of just doing that by themselves and they want to work with you, how mm -hmm. do they go about that? Where should they have a look? What's, what's the yeah. deal? So <clears throat> the multiple levels, but let's first, what you could start with is the marketing and practice podcast. I, I, I'm up to episode 238. So there's a lot there that you could go through and learn from to dip your toes in to find out, first of all, are we a match? Is what I'm, I guess if you're still listening now, there's probably, you know, some match in, in values there too. That's a spot that you could start. In terms of working with me, there are three ways. So I mentioned before about the video influence course. 
Um, I take cohorts of students through that. You can join the waiting list for that. I'll be taking another cohort through that in the first quarter of next year. So there's a waiting list for that as well. And then I have another, um, you know, a, a, a group mastermind that's mostly of chiropractors, but I've got some really great natural health practitioners and naturopaths, Chinese med practitioners in there too. That's called community influencer. Inside of that, our, we open up the scope of our marketing conversations to include what should your website look like? You know, what should be there, shouldn't be there? How do we set up this email marketing stuff that you said beforehand, understanding influential words, which are important for us to understand influential words when we're communicating with our patients, not just from a marketing point of view. You know, we can talk Facebook, Instagram ads. We do all of that kind of stuff. I can help you with content creation. So again, there's a waiting list for that. And I open up the doors for enrollment for that. But all of these you'll be able to get to through anguspike.com. And then finally as well, I, I have just started taking on some one-on-one -on -one, um, uh, coaching clients where we can certainly work with the marketing strategies that you need, but it's probably a little bit more of a, a structured in around kind of helping some of the mindset stuff underneath it as well as, as that too. Um, I have limited spots available for that. Um, it's super expensive. So I, I want to let you know that in advance um, as, as well. So that's just for people that have that need and or urgency to do that too. So there are multiple ways that you can do around. The community influencer is, you know, it's 297 bucks a month. Um, you know, if you implement a tiny fraction of what we get, that course pay, that, that pays for itself multiple times over um, inside of that too. So lots of different ways there. That's awesome. Excellent. Well, thank you, Angus, for sharing all of your wisdom and perspective and the, get, allowing us to learn from the thousands of hours and hundreds of thousands of dollars that you've invested in getting this uh, perspective and wisdom around marketing. And thank you again for your generosity in sharing it with us. I really appreciate you uh, coming on the podcast. It's been really, really cool. Thanks. Buddy, been a wonderful pleasure. Anytime I get to chat with you, I will jump at. So um, chat again soon. All right. Thanks, mate. Thanks for listening to the Under the Influence podcast. Make sure to subscribe so that you can catch all future episodes of the Under the Influence podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, then you will love the online program, The Retention Recipe. It's all about communication strategies that you can employ in somebody's first 12 visits that help transition them from a pain level of health belief to a prevention level of health belief and open up the opportunities for them to see chiropractic as part of a performance or wellness lifestyle. Check it out at insideoutpractices.com.